This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Hello, everyone. This is Cameron, your host of Get a Load of This. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited. We are coming into the new year on a great 2022. At least that's what I'm projecting and hoping for. And I think uh, everyone's optimistic, at least who I talk to. With me, I've got special co-host Ryan Young. He's an associate of mine over with Valley Trucking Insurance coming from Canada. Ryan, what up? Hey, what's going on? And let's not get it twisted. I'm from the States, but I'm live in Canada right now. So, hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope the new year is ringing in nice. I like the accolade of making it international anyway, so I'm going to use that I while use I can. I every time. I'm not sure why, but. <laughs> and Washington State's close to where you're at yeah, anyway. Yeah. It's a hop, skip, and a jump across the border, exactly. so we got to take advantage of that. Exactly. And then today, um, I'm really excited. We've got uh, an amazing person who I got introduced to from a good associate and a friend of mine over with Great West Casualty Company, my friend Amanda. I had heard in the industry and and seen the articles and seen reports come out for a long time from ATRI or American Trucking Research Institute. For the longest time, you know, to me, it was like, okay, it's just a report. And obviously you read them, but I didn't understand until I had partnered with Great West, the impact and the change and the importance of an organization like ATRI. So when I got to experience speakers from your organization, and I'll introduce Rebecca here in a sec, it started to click and all of a sudden a light bulb came on and I'm like, they are so fundamental in the trucking industry. And every person from a truck driver to industry professionals to you name it is really fighting to gain ground, progress the trucking industry, get your next wave of professionals in there and just make it more of appealing and what trucking actually is to this country, which, uh, you know, keeps America moving and, in my opinion, the greatest industry in the world. So I was introduced to Rebecca Brewster. She is the president and COO of um, ATRI is, is what the acronym that is there. So Rebecca, welcome. How are you? Well, thanks for having me on today, Cameron. I'm really excited to be here. I'm doing great. Good. And you're coming to us from Georgia, Atlanta. Hot Atlanta, absolutely. Hot Atlanta. <laughs> well, hot dog. I love it. <laughs> All right. So um, I want, so give us a little bit of background of um, your time with Atri and maybe a 30,000 foot view for folks that potentially or haven't heard about Atri, and then we'll unpack a lot of the fun stuff and we'll dive okay. into the next year and, and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So um, ATRI, or the American Transportation Research Institute, is the trucking industry's not-for-profit research organization. And we have one mission, Cameron, and that's research to improve the trucking industry's safety and productivity. And so everything we do is focused on that mission. And as a part of that mission, everything we do is provided for the industry free of charge. And so the studies we'll talk about today or any of our other very large portfolio of research 
is available on our website. Anyone can go access the studies. It's a free download. Um, it's very easy to remember our website address. It's what we do, truckingresearch.org. Um, and so you'll find there on our website, all of our research is grouped by category, research hot topics. So whether you're interested in truck parking or driver issues or CSA or hours of service or economic analysis, all of those research hot topics are there and our entire body of work as an organization is listed there. Going back to um, our founding is ATRI uh, in 2001. We actually were around, we've actually been around since the 50s, but we reorganized into ATRI in 2001. Um, so we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. Somebody asked me how long, I've, how many of those 20 years I've been with ATRI and I responded 28 of those years because I was with the predecessor organization and I actually am about to celebrate my 29th anniversary with this organization. So I, I love doing trucking research. It's certainly not something I thought I would do when I was a child. It wasn't on my bucket list to do trucking research, but um, I've been doing it now almost 29 years and absolutely love what we do at ATRI. Yeah, 29 years. That's a feat. That's amazing. Congratulations <laughs> I, to some that. Some days I feel every one of those 29 <laughs> years. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Now, did you have any connection to the trucking industry prior to being introduced to the to where you're at now? I, I did indeed. I um, actually worked for a private fleet uh, early on in my career after I got out of college. Um, I, Moen, the folks who make faucets, their private fleet was based in North Carolina. And I spent some time with Moen uh, as a fleet analyst was my title. And that was actually, so now I'm going to date myself even more. Um, Moen was installing the very first iteration of what they called a trip recorder. So basically it, it could uh, track MPG, speed, and hard braking. And so I would take the data that came off the trip recorders from the trucks and do all sorts of analyses. Uh, it was the 80s. And so we had what was called back in the 80s, a quality circle. So every Saturday morning when our drivers came in from their runs, I would lead the quality circle where we would talk about different uh, ways to improve what they did. Uh, back in the day, they even started an organization called ProDad, Professional Drivers Against Drunk Drivers. That came out of our quality circle activity. So it was, it was my introduction to trucking. Um, I audited driver logs. I mean, it was it was good old fashioned auditing paper logs. So I, that was my introduction to trucking in the mid 80s. That's amazing. You guys are like on the leading edge of technology and stats <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I love it. I bet I bet you've seen some amazing things and good, bad, indifferent and have some amazing stories that, that you've amassed over that time would be my guess. It's um it, it's been a fascinating journey truly and uh, when I think about some of the things we dealt with even at, at Moen and some of the things that are still a challenge today um and, and even from my start at Atri in the early 90s I mean one of the earliest studies I worked on um at at our predecessor organization was about truck parking and the lack of available truck parking and sadly here we are in um 2021 still talking about the need for more truck parking. And uh, if any of your listeners have heard me present or heard me on other platforms, it is an issue I am tremendously passionate about. And, and just, uh, you know, every audience I speak to, I tell people in the audience, you and I know where we're going to put our head down tonight, and we know we're going to be in a safe place. The same cannot be said 
for the nation's professional truck drivers. They don't. They know they're going to be in their sleeper berth, but they don't know where they're going to find it if they're going to have a safe place to park. And that is an untenable situation that we cannot allow, continue to uh, allow go on. No, and how stressful is that not knowing, right? And, and absolutely. I don't care if you've done this. You're on your first year, or you know. 50th year of truck driving. That's still a stress that you're going to have. And in fact, we had a company on in on our podcast on an earlier episode called truckpark.com where they're trying to obviously embrace technology and come up with the model where you can book ahead and schedule and know that you've got a secure lot and a secure location that you're going to arrive at this day around these times and it's ready to go for you. So I think it's companies or organizations like that that in my opinion are helping progress us to where we need to go. And I'm guessing you probably have an in, an opinion or you had input on the parking situation in Minneapolis, correct? Yeah, they... what a, what a mess that was. <laughs> so did you have any input or anything to do with that at all? No, no, um, because one of the, the features of ATRI that, that I need to make clear to everyone is because of our organization as a 501c3, that's an IRS designation, but it means we are limited to just doing research and education. We cannot engage in advocacy on any activity. So you won't find us on Capitol Hill. You won't find us in the state legislatures. We don't lobby. We don't issue op-ed pieces. We just do the research that we hope and we know informs decisions that are made in all those locations. But we are policy agnostic. <laughs> we, we, are, we are here to do the research. Yeah. And, and I guess, Cameron, I, I should mention for folks who are not familiar with ATRI, Really, one of the key features of ATRI as an organization is how we figure out what research we do on behalf of the industry. So it's not just what does Rebecca think is important or what does my staff think is important, but we have this external body. We call it our research advisory committee, and they meet once a year in person. They review typically in an annual cycle about 20 to 30 different research proposals. And after a very thorough vetting of those proposals, they identify the top six to eight, the ones that they think are most critical for the trucking industry. And those are the studies that then ATRI works on over the next year. So, um, and, and that's a great process. And what's really compelling about it is who serves on that research advisory committee. It really is a, a, a representation of anyone who has a nexus to trucking. So we have trucking fleets, large and small. We have trucking industry suppliers, from insurance companies to technology suppliers to OEMs. We have drivers represented. We have OIDA has a representative on the Research Advisory Committee, as does the Teamsters. So organized labor has a representative on the uh, rack. We have government at the federal, state, and local levels, academia, law enforcement. So everybody gets really their say on each of these proposals and collectively, they come up with a decision on which are the most important, and that's the work we do at ATRI. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're giving the industry a voice, and you're presenting the facts. Here's the news. It's real news. Here's the studies. Here's what, um, you know, it's up up to them to obviously read the study and um, form an opinion on it. But, yeah, what you guys are doing is so impactful. And like I said, once I heard you guys speak the first time at the great, it was a great West uh, symposium, I think is where I was introduced to you guys uh, was amazing. I was blown away on the amount of information you guys have on what you guys do um, fundamentally and, and help the industry progress. I think it's awesome. 
Hey, one thing we do, and this is kind of a staple question, as we are centric around trucking, and our, our listeners are obviously truck drivers and company owners and industry folks or fleet managers, if you will. If you had a CB handle, what would your CB handle name be? <laughs> well, actually, that's an easy one for me okay. because one of our annual studies we do at Atri that I love is our identification of the top 100 worst truck bottlenecks in the country. Okay. And so I actually have a bobblehead that someone had made up of me and the name of it is bottleneck Becky. So I think that would be my handle is bottleneck Becky. So there you go. That's awesome. I love that. That's a cool, cool story. I wish uh, she's working from home today. Otherwise I'd say, Hey, I want to see bottleneck Becky (laughs) hobbling around, but no, that's, that's amazing. Um, So for you, what do your duties require of you in the organization as the president and COO? What's important to you? What's your initiatives? What things take precedent in your world? Well, um, one of my primary um, objectives as the head of ATRI is to raise money to do the research. So we are, as I mentioned, a 501c3. So we're a charitable organization, just like the United Way. And so I am tasked with soliciting contributions from the trucking industry that go directly to our, the research we do on behalf of the industry. So we have um, a core of uh, organizations and individuals who give to us every year. And then depending on a lot of times what studies we release over the course of the year, somebody will come in and make a one-time contribution to us. This is our 20th year as Atri, so we've had a big push this year for people to make a charitable contribution in honor of our 20th anniversary. And so we've, we've had, this is our, our most successful year in terms of generating contributions. And again, when individuals make contributions to ATRI, it's a charitable uh, tax deduction for those organizations or individuals, but it goes straight into a restricted fund. And we can't use it for rent or anything like that. It goes just to cover our time and uh, other expenses associated with doing research. So whether it's our bottleneck list, or our studies on hours of service, or our top industry issues, any of our research that we publish, we do with those charitable contributions. So that's one of my primary goals or, or responsibilities. But but then I have responsibility for, I, I'm the last stop for all of the reports that we put out. And so nothing gets released from Atri that I haven't read through multiple times, sometimes to the chagrin of our staff, because I was an English major in college, so I'm, I'm no fun doing edits of our reports for sure. Um, but but I am the last quality control check on all of our research. And so um, I spend a lot of time editing our reports and making sure they are top notch. And, and we have a fabulous staff, so it's not a hard job. But but ultimately, I'm responsible for the, the quality of what comes out of ATRI. And so, um, and I love doing that. I mean, I was an English major in college, so I love the written word. Um, and then I, I am... Uh, in many instances, uh, the public face of Atri. So I do a lot of presentations. Uh, in a pre-COVID year, I would typically spend um, maybe 150, 175 nights on the road um, doing presentations at industry events. Yeah, and trying to nail you down and myself playing phone tag and stuff, that was definitely <laughs> a challenge. As I talked to her, she's calling me. I'm in the airport, but I'll be here for an hour. Call me. And we finally had nailed down a time to get you on, which I'm so thankful for. And um, so the charitable thing, you know, it's funny because in a 
now we're ending, you know, 2021 is when this recording, this podcast will come out 2022. Most people think, hey, I need a tax deduction. I'm going to go buy a piece of equipment or a tractor or a trailer or something like that. But guess what? If they didn't plan for that, they're not not buying anything. Yeah. So, you know, something like this organization, which is making tremendous impact. And really, I know you're not an advocate and I know that it's the charitable organization and stuff, but it is making a major difference in strides for the trucking community and industry. And I I really hope people take advantage of the truckingresearch.org. Your resources, just go pick up some of those research guides and studies and like, you know, there's going to be so much value they can find in those and utilize and implement their own organization or open their eyes to things that maybe they weren't exposed to or even aware of. And if they do, they really should make a donation on behalf of, you know, whatever they're feeling for that. And so is that is that where they would make the donation as well is, is through the website? And that's the easiest way. Truckingresearch.org. Um, there is yeah. a, a tab to support ATRI. Uh, you can make a pledge online for a one-time or an annual contribution. We'll invoice you annually. You can even make a one-time contribution with a credit card online through a secure uh, link we have. So it's well, very easy to give. As I like to tell people, certainly no gift is too large, but, but no <laughs> gift is too small either. Um, yeah. We have in the past received $25 checks from professional truck drivers just as a want to say thank you for this study that you yeah. put out. It's made a difference. Absolutely. So those are some of the most gratifying contributions, in my opinion. And I think it's great, too. Uh, let's let's talk about a few of the studies that folks might find value in. And, like, what's a, what's your favorite study? Let's just start with that. Well, I have two. Um, my CB handle, of course, is Bottleneck Becky. And I love the release of our annual list of the top truck bottlenecks in the country. And that is not a survey of what do people think are the worst traffic congestion spots, this is actually um, sourced through data that Atri has. Uh, it's a million plus trucks worth of GPS data that comes into Atri in real time. And so we, for this particular analysis each year, we monitor traffic congestion at 300 plus locations around the U.S. where that we know are freight critical. And each year we take a full calendar year worth of data, GPS data, and we look at each of those 300 locations, one, how slowly trucks are operating at th- that location. So how, what are the truck average truck speeds? And two, how many trucks are impacted? So you, you might have a place that has slower speeds, but not as many trucks. Those two um, metrics, speed and volume, go into a calculation. So we come up with the list of the top 100 worst truck bottlenecks. So um, number one on the current list is in Fort Lee, New Jersey. That is the intersect. It's the New Jersey side of the George Washington Bridge that connects New York and New Jersey. It's actually a confluence of like six different roadways. It's just a horrible place to operate a truck. Uh, we've got a couple of the top bottlenecks here in Atlanta, not surprisingly. Uh, number three and number four on the list are uh, in Atlanta. Number four, I can actually see outside of my office window. Uh, they're all centered around our perimeter in Atlanta, 285. Um, just a, a tough place to operate a truck. If you're a driver who happens to drive in and around Houston, you probably know how bad it is in Houston. Houston has eight of the nation's top truck bottlenecks just within Houston. Um, and so uh, it's a it's a great tool for validating, you know, if for no other reason it validates what drivers have been saying, you know, don't route me through X location at 4 p.m. in the afternoon because it's stupid because I'm just going to sit there stuck in traffic. But it's a great tool for 
motor carrier salespeople because you can walk into your customers using this huge empirical data set and say, let's not set up unrealistic expectations for when our drivers can be there if you're going to ask us to go through this location at that time of day. And probably more impactful, and this is where I think we've really seen the difference with it, it gives policymakers at the state level the data they need to focus their infrastructure investments in the places where they're going to make the most difference. And key example of that, the poster child we've used for years is the burn interchange in Chicago was number one on our list for three years in a row when we started doing this analysis. And again, it's GPS database. So it's not just people saying, I don't like to drive here. This is generating trucks. And the governor of Illinois issued a press release that said, we are no longer going to have the, the worst truck bottleneck in the country. We're going to fix that location. And so they invested a tremendous amount of money for a redesign study, and they've been working on the redesign. Now, it's still in the top 10, the burn interchange, because traffic is still bad. When you have construction, you're going to have congestion. They go hand in hand. But we believe once that construction is completed, we'll see that location drop down on the list. So, so it is moving the needle by being this gadfly, by saying this place is the number one truck bottleneck or this place is the number five truck bottleneck, whatever the case may be. So that's my favorite. Um, but my other favorite, because I have two, is the top industry issues survey. And we started doing that one in 2005. And we surveyed the industry at large. So anybody who's in the industry, insurance folks, professional truck drivers, motor carriers, law enforcement, anybody who's in the industry can take the survey. We launch it every September. When you take the survey online, you're confronted with a list of 30 different issues in the industry. You're asked to pick your top three. And then for those top three, you're asked to rank some potential strategies that you think the industry should be collectively pursuing to deal with that issue. We release it every October. Um, so this year, top uh, three issues, all about the driver. Driver shortage, driver retention, driver compensation. We also break the responses out by motor carriers and drivers. On the motor carrier, driver shortage, driver compensation, we had a tie for the first time for number one on the driver side, truck parking and driver compensation, both tied for number one. Number two for drivers is detention. And they probably all go hand in hand. I feel like with uh, truck parking, we got the logistic issues, some of the port issues. I'm, I'm, it's all like intertwined in my um, outside looking in opinion. So No, you're absolutely right. You, you cannot view any of these issues as in its own silo. I mean, uh, I've even had motor carriers say to me, why do you have the shortage and retention as two separate issues? He said, because in our mind, they're the same issue. And I said, well, because this survey or, or this annual analysis and survey is designed to identify what the industry should be doing. And what you should be doing to deal with the shortage is very different from what you do to retain the good men and women you have driving for you currently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, we're not too far off that October study, so that's still fresh. I know um, a lot of folks, and I actually, I think you posted it on LinkedIn. I think I had grabbed the link from something you had shared on the social media side of things and browsed through it. And so that's a great one. I think a lot of folks should go get that. Um, what are some of the other studies that um, folks could expect to look at going into there? 
So one of the, probably one of the most frequently downloaded studies is another annual study we've been doing um, since 2008. We call it for short ops cost, but the full title is operational costs of trucking. And so for that study, Cameron, we put out a data call for motor carrier, for higher motor carrier data um, on a whole host of individual line items. So your tire cost per mile, your repair and maintenance cost per mile, your driver wage cost per mile, um, your fuel cost per mile. We aggregate and analyze all that data and it has become such a popular benchmarking tool for fleets of all sizes because we get data from fleets of all sizes. And so if you are a, an owner operator or a one to five truck operator, you can download this and benchmark your costs against other similarly sized fleets. If you're a thousand plus truck operator, the costs are broken out that way. If you only operate in the northwest part of the country where costs might be different than they are in the southeast, we have a regional breakout. Um, it really is a very, very powerful benchmarking tool and people really look forward to that one. And we just put the newest update to that, which documented 2020 costs. Uh, that one came out in November of, of this year so. Yeah, and I think that's super impactful. But so helpful, too, as a business owner, right? You need to know your numbers. You need to know what you're shooting for, what improvements you're striving to make. But then when you get these reports of fuel cost averages going up or the fuel cost per region or location or by state, you can now start to figure out your routing and your mapping. And with the use of some technologies that these vendors are providing these days, you can predict pretty much every single thing and put it in a number format for your company to run. And I think that for as an insurance professional, see, I find value with that because if they don't or are not properly insured or don't value the professional advice that they get, and let's say that they don't have towing or maybe roadside assistance or something, you think that's a small thing and it is a small thing, but $5,000 out of pocket if they're not operating right. at a very good profit margin, it takes a lot of revenue to make up that missing $5,000 that no, you thought wasn't a big deal. And that's where... Yeah, and that's where those studies, I think, are just so valuable. And if, if they can read and understand and uh, run a business, right, I think a lot of truck drivers, especially your smaller folks or truck drivers that um, wanted more freedom, wanted control, wanted to do it them, their own, or they, they're entrepreneurs or, you know, had this vision and, and plan to start a company, maybe they don't know how to run a business, though, or maybe they don't know how to look at their numbers and interpret their numbers and, and try to run profitably or just maybe don't understand. So I think tools like this well, are so valuable. And the fact that you guys give that or right, that it's available say, on your it's, website it's for them for the to download is ama <laughs> it's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane to me. That's uh, That's so cool. So with your 150 nights of travel and all this other stuff, what do you do on some downtime? What are some hobbies? What are some ways that you kind of relax and, and spend your time when you're not crunching data and reviewing stats and spitting out reports and writing and grading <laughs> articles and well, all this stuff? Well, um, I'm a Florida girl, born and raised in Florida. So I am probably the happiest if I'm okay. at the beach. Um, and so any downtime okay. I can find and be at a pool or at the beach is, is when I'm the happiest. And when I'm there, I, I love to read. Um, I'm a pretty avid reader of fiction stuff because I read enough real stuff <laughs> about trucking all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and then, you know, yeah. 
I'll just admit it here. I, there's strength in admitting it. I love to play Candy Crush. So <laughs> on my phone. So. There you go. Yeah. I, I look over and my wife is doing the same and I hear all these like noises and all this stuff exploding and, um, but you got to have your vice too, though. I think that that's, that's fun to unplug and unwind. And, um, you know, there's no doubt with the stuff you look at day in, day out, what you read, what you study, what you see, that, that's enough to make a, a lot of people go crazy would be my guess. So I think that that is awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, so for, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was, I was actually just, okay. Thanks man. I was curious Based on the fact, like you said, you're obviously reading a lot of fiction books because I can imagine as somebody who's, you know, studying statistics all day long, you you get enough of reality. But um, when when you are paying attention to these studies and I and I hate to jump ship from the fun again (laughs) so quickly, but are there any of these studies that prior to you even doing them that you just know that they're going to change the industry based on the information? Because the big, the biggest thing I, I think that I'm, I'm asking, I suppose, is who is really accessing this information on, especially like a policy level and and like looking to you guys for direction. I well, mean, um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of when I think about how we've moved the needle on things. So, so I've already talked about how we, we're moving the needle on transportation infrastructure because we're, you know, bringing this empirical data set that, that convinces policymakers to invest in transportation infrastructure at the place where it's going to make a difference for the industry. But the other one where I really think we captured the attention of, of Congress and, and the um, FMCSA was the work we did on the hours of service rules. When in particular, and we've done a lot of studies because the hours of service rules for a while, they were changing like every year, it seemed like we'd get some new provision. But when we had those really onerous provisions where to use your 34-hour restart, you had to get two overnight periods from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And so if a driver pulled in and stopped at 1.10 a.m., that one didn't count, and you'd have to be there two more overnight periods. And they were just having negative impacts on the industry. I mean, drivers anecdotally were telling us how bad those provisions were. Fleets were telling us how bad those provisions were. So we turned to the data and we documented things like what everybody knew intuitively would happen. If your 34-hour restart means 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., when are you getting on the road? 5 a.m. When are all the four-wheelers starting to get on the road? In the morning for morning rush hour. You're raising crash exposure risk for truck drivers exponentially by forcing them into that traffic stream when everybody else is there. Our GPS data documented that. Um, we went to drivers. We said, tell us what's happening to your income as uh, under these new provisions. What's happening to your fatigue and stress levels? And drivers responded with that data. And we aggregated it and analyzed it and put it out there. And it really did convince those on Capitol Hill and in the regulatory and ultimately the regulatory agency to get rid of that particular provision. I am convinced our data moved the needle there. That's amazing. And I'm sure you guys have done it in so many other ways. And this this brings up another interesting question. How do you go about finding subjects for your studies? Because I imagine there's got to be random to some degree. Um, but what is the selection process? Well, so, and I mentioned the RAC reviews typically in a typical cycle, 20 to 30 proposals. And so how do we get come up with those proposals? Well, 
part of the responsibility of being on the research advisory committee is you have you're assigned a staff member um, and you work with that staff member to talk through potential research ideas. So if you happen to be assigned to the law enforcement research advisory committee member, he or she might have some different research proposal ideas than like the state DOT person who might have different from the OIDA representative. So so we work, our staff works with their RAC members to come up with research ideas. We also have a place on our website where anybody can submit some research ideas. So those all get presented to the research advisory committee as well. And then again, we just talk through the merits of it. Is anybody else doing this research? Um, is this something that's outside of Atri's wheelhouse? For instance, uh, we've had conversations around not just this last RAC meeting, but other RAC meetings about the potential for a shipper of choice database. So, you know, these guys hold us up forever in detention. These guys are really good guys. These guys are not. I don't believe that is a role for ATRI. That's sort of the good housekeeping seal of approval for shippers and um, customers. I'm not sure that's a research role for ATRI. Perhaps the behind the scenes development of such a database, the data collection, but that's not really a role for ATRI. And that's the sort of discussion we have at the Research Advisory Committee. So is it something that we have the resources to do? Is it something that's going to fulfill our mission, which is to improve the trucking industry's safety and productivity? Are we just repeating what some other organization has done? You know, that these are things that all go into the discussion. Is for instance, I, I think about a RAC meeting several years ago, right after um, Trump was elected. And Trump was t- at the time early on talking about getting rid of the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. And so there was discussion around what that would mean for the trucking industry if we no longer had a free trade agreement with our uh, northern and southern partners. And so the motor carriers, particularly those who had cross-border activity. We're talking about the merits of it and et cetera, et cetera. The state DOT representative on the rack at that time was from Texas. And she said, I'm being asked to make decisions now about expansion of I-35. So I needed this study six weeks ago, you know? I mean, it just brought a, a different perspective that the people in the trucking industry wouldn't necessarily think about that a state DOT person had this different perspective on that research. So it's a fascinating process, and I think lends tremendous credibility to the studies that ultimately get selected as top priorities that we uh, then undertake. Well, of course. And then so as, as far as the subjects you're taking on, again, obviously, they're making huge impacts. And I, and I actually would really be interested in learning more about the NAFTA study personally. Um, but I'm also curious, is even with participants, how is how is the selection of participants in the study? Um, are they, is it something that you take from the FMCSA and you find motor carriers and you ask people or are people it, signing general, up? I mean, it's, it's very, it, it varies by study, but, but a lot of times they are convenient samples. So we just released a study looking at the motivators for why people choose to be owner operators, independent contractors versus why they choose to be company drivers. So we issued, we put, right. we developed a survey, we issued a data call, we put it out um, on all the trade press. Anybody who would let us publicize that survey, we put it out there. OIDA pushed it out to their members. Uh, state trucking associations encouraged their members to push it out to their drivers. We got uh, over 2,000 drivers to respond to that survey. But again, it's a convenient sample. Um, 
a lot of times we'll go to truck shows, uh, mats, gats, and survey drivers there if we have a study underway that needs driver input. Uh, the operational cost of trucking, again, we just advertise we're seeking carrier data. Every year we get more carriers who come in. They typically become repeat participants, and so we go out to them. So there's just it just depends on the study, you know, what our data needs are and how we go get that data. Excellent. Yeah, so there's a diverse group and input and opinion and stuff going into that. I actually would love to talk about the, I guess we can call it best practices study um, for the sake of just a small conversation. What do you, or and maybe you, you can cite this off the top of your head or not, but what is the um, best in practice operating cost of, let's say, a non-fleet trucking company in 2020? Do you know that or rough figures off the top of your head? So for every, like best in class or best in practice, if this company operated um, for every dollar they make, 92 cents go back into the business, right, 8 so cents margin. will go into profit. So in ops cost, we do not... Yeah. We have not collected. We have not asked that yet. Um, we just yeah. earlier today had yeah. a, what well, we are, when we finished releasing that report, we do a debrief. What went well, what do we want to add to next year's data collection, et cetera, et cetera. So we did have a conversation around adding that question because right now we're just asking what are your marginal costs per mile or, well, we create per hour based on an average okay. speed for trucks, but that comes from our GPS data. So we just asked marginal cost per mile. Yeah. And, and again, they're only marginal costs. We're not asking fixed costs. So we don't ask you brick and mortar. We don't ask yeah. you your dispatcher salary. It's just driver uh, wages and benefits, uh, technician cost, because that goes into repair and maintenance, and then everything associated with the vehicle, repair and maintenance, insurance, tires, fuel, um, permits and licensing, tolls, and uh, lease and purchase payments, and then the driver costs. And then for driver cost, you get into the average salary of driver currently we do, in the current um, market and all that? Wage cost per mile. So it's, it's you know, if you pay your drivers a salary, we come up with, you know, how that translates into a per mile. So we don't have a an annualized salary figure in the report. But, but we also ask yeah. about other but things like, do you offer a 401k? Do you offer paid time off? Those sorts of things. So that's in it. Um, the other thing that I think is is interesting to look at is um, what is your average age of your equipment? What's your turnover, your trade cycle for tractors and trailers? Um, and so, you know, again, it's just a, it's a fabulous benchmarking tool and you know, it's available for free. Yeah. Yep. I think that that'll be good. How much research have you done into the infrastructure for going green initiative and going all electric and and what are we looking at what have you uncovered what's your opinion that so you're we developing have two studies underway right now that were identified as priorities by our rack this year one is looking at the charging infrastructure that would be needed for uh the class a market to turn green, uh, completely uh electric um and the other one is looking at what are the life cycle environmental impacts of zero emission vehicles not just trucks but cars so it's not just to flip the switch and you're, you're green because you have to have the materials to manufacture the batteries and you have to have, you know, there are environmental impacts from the um, manufacture of that equipment. And then you have disposal concerns or, or issues. So we're documenting all of that in our research. 
Um, so both of those are underway right now, so I don't have those findings for you. But we did um, look at and release earlier this year another study that's so one of the arguments in the highway funding arena for why we need to do something other than the gas tax is because if everybody's moving to an electric vehicle, we're not capturing anything from those vehicles. And so we said there is a way. We did the research and said there is a way to capture highway usage from those vehicles because you can charge a per kilowatt hour fee or tax as they're charging, you know? And so that could go into the highway trust fund just like um, fossil fuel vehicles pay into the highway trust fund through the gas tax. And so that one came out earlier this year. Again, it's just, to me, it just demonstrates the breadth of our portfolio because we're, you know, here we've talked about truck bottlenecks and we've talked about hours of service. And now we're talking about how to tax electric vehicles so that they can contribute into the highway trust fund. Pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, I was actually curious, have there been any introductions or any studies on like use per mile as well. I know that coming from Washington State, I know for a while there, I'm actually not positive it passed, but for residents of Washington State, they were actually thinking about charging a tax per mile of just highway usage. So, right, a VMT. Yeah. Uh, vehicle miles traveled. And so that's one of the arguments for a VMT is that's a, you know, they say that's a better way to capture um, and generate revenue for the highway system than a gas tax. Uh, so we actually did a study that looked at what a national VMT would have to look like if it were going to replace the gas tax. And it is so costly just to build the initial infrastructure to do that. Um, and, and you know, you talk about the potential for evasion. So right now, the fuel tax is collected from fewer than 300 entities. You know, you and I pay the fuel tax when we gas up our car, but it's just part of what we pay at the pump. Mm-hmm. The fuel tax itself is collected from fewer than 300 entities right now. If we went to a VMT for everybody, there are 272 million vehicles in the United States. Every one of those vehicles, the tax would have to be collected from. So in our in our uh, study, we calculated the cost for installing a, a dongle in everybody's car that would track every one of your miles. You'd have to have a system to collect that tax. Um, somehow. Um, And guess what? If you install this in your car, fairly easy to pull that out of your car if you don't want to be tracking your miles and paying the tax. Of course. Yeah. 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 And that would, that's, you get the big brother effect on that. And there's probably a lot of rebellion. Rebecca, I know, and I don't have the exact figures. You would know this. And this stood out to me is for the highway use tax from IFTAs and the, the use of the roadways from tractor trailers, heavy equipment, big rigs, they account for like, I think you had mentioned like something like 80 plus percent of the revenue that comes in to support the infrastructure, but then they only account for like a much smaller segment of actual vehicles on the road. Is that accurate? Um, the percentage that we account for the um, highway trust fund, I believe is closer to like 40 to 50 percent. But about okay. 8 to 10% of the miles. Yeah, yeah. I remember it was like a vast difference it's on that. Big delta. 
Yeah, which I'm guessing accounts for wear and tear. And, and I mean, the interstate system was built for, obviously, the transportation industry and right. facilitating infrastructure growth and build and, and goods of all that stuff. What is a big initiative or I guess maybe something you're excited about in 2022 that you, know, you guys are working on? Well, um, another one of the top priority topics that came out of our research advisory committee this year was to look at how can you successfully integrate younger people into the trucking industry. So we know that the Drive Safe Act, which was included in the transportation bill, allows for a pilot program of 18 to 20 year old uh, commercial vehicle drivers who can finally now drive interstate freight. But it's one thing to have the enabling legislation for that. It's another to know how to successfully recruit from that cohort of individuals train that cohort of individuals and retain that cohort of individuals. And so we're going to fleets right now who are doing this and they're not just doing it. And and we're not just focused just on younger drivers, but we're focused on how are they doing that with technicians and how are they doing that with office personnel and driver managers? How do you make this industry appealing to that group? How do you recruit them, train them and retain them? And we are talking to fleets who are bringing younger drivers in having them drive only intrastate freight, but giving them the opportunity to get comfortable behind the wheel so that when, you know, either with within the pilot, drive safe pilot program or when they hit 21, they've already got experience. Yeah, I think that's a big push. And I think it's a trend that everyone needs to work on and figure out a solution for, because what a great profession in industry in general. There's so many different things you can do within that are amazing for individuals. We actually had um, a podcast with Next Generation in Trucking. Uh, They're an organization, if you're familiar, out of California, teaching high school kids and getting them exposure into the trucking, transportation, CDL industry. And I think they're just what they're doing is so wonderful. I think it's just such an amazing opportunity for um, kids and folks that maybe are unsure about their future or, you know, really, I think when you grow up, not many people think I want to be a truck driver or I want to get into logistics or transportation. It's something you're exposed to from friends, family member, circumstances, or, or however you happen to fall in it. So I think the more awareness and exposure people can bring in the in a high school setting and in a younger setting, the better for us. So It, it is indeed. And we did a study a number of years back looking at a number of demographics around the, the driver population. And one of the things we uncovered is looking at public high schools around the U.S., only 28% of public high schools offered any kind of vocational training on anything related to transportation. So just over a fourth of high schools had anything, any way to expose young students, anything to do with transportation. Almost everybody had some sort of business or computer opportunities at the high school level. But then you go down the list and we were way down the list at 28%. And that's, you know, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. And I don't think truckers really get the praise and um, the proper thanks that they're that they're deserving. Of. I think COVID highlighted a little bit. People understood, OK, I'm stuck at home. How does my freight move? <laughs> you right. know, and it's like, OK, they, they got a little awareness. But growing up in a trucking family and I think the public uh, perception of trucking um, has been poor, but it's getting better. I feel, I, I'm like super positive and encouraged on the strides that the industry is making. I think it's an all all out effort on everyone's part to make it attractive to the younger generation. Show that you know it's a 
a meaningful career, that it is making an impact, that it is helping the, the country move, that you are helping deliver Christmas or all these different things. And as, as far as the charitable stuff and the infrastructure that trucking supports and gives to, it's it's amazing. And I just don't think people understand the impact that it actually has. So No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what else is exciting in your world? Research. <laughs> I love it. I know. And, and I like research. I, I Like you, I, I love studying. I love learning what's new, what's coming down, trying to for, be, be forward thinking. What's a, I, I, I'm guessing technology is a big component of a lot of what you've been researching in the last five years, and, and it's an exponential growth thing with that. What are some of the technological advances or tools or things that you guys have researched that you see coming in the trucking industry that's going to, that you think will make a major impact? Well, oftentimes I get asked, um, you know, what about autonomous trucks and what's that going to mean? And what okay. does the future look like? And, and I always try to redirect those conversations to make people realize that there's a lot of, um, autonomous technologies or, or driver assistive technologies that are deployed today that are helping make the job of being a professional truck driver easier and safer. Um, and that's what we should be focused on. Um, so often the, the media likes to hype, well, you won't need truck drivers in five years, which certainly doesn't help us recruit truck drivers. You know, nobody wants to go into a career where you're going to be replaced by a robot by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I honestly don't believe we're going to get to that point, um, if for no other reason, because, you know, I'm not sure the public is willing to drive down the road, sharing the road with a driverless 18 wheeler. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're away from that, but, but that aside, the technologies, the driver assistive technologies that are being deployed now are, are making great strides for, again, making the job better and making it safer for drivers, giving them full vision around that, that tractor and that trailer and, you know, helping them stay alert and, and inside their lanes and, and it, when someone else encroaches in their lane. I mean, there's a lot of things that are uh, really assisting. And, and we've been involved actually with FMCSA in what they call Techcelerate Now. And it's, it's really designed to build outreach and awareness of the value of these systems for big fleets and small fleets and owner operators to understand what are the hurdles to adoption? Um, are there perception problems? Are there um, ROI issues? What are the challenges and how can we overcome them to increase deployment of these systems across the industry? Yeah, and I think a lot of folks fear change, right? And if it's new, it's not the old way of doing it and they just don't understand the impact. But I know most likely like you know that um, lane departure assist or crash avoidance or like you're talking about the 360 camera those are all there to enhance and provide a much smoother and safer um, destin uh, lane of travel and, and destination to get there um, absolutely so so I'm a, I embrace change I think that if done properly it can enhance and it can make the public safer it can make the cost of trucking go down I think there's all kinds of things that it brings as a benefit there. Uh, and there's no doubt that you probably work closely with California because I know they're kind of a leading, um, I, I don't want, even want to say trailblazer, but they're pushing initiative for going electric. They're, they're changing, obviously, with the way 1099 contractors are handled. Uh, there's other certain initiatives that they go there. Have you done any research or study with the 1099 
um, initiative they have going? So the 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 motivation. Um, on the part of our research advisory committee for this study that we just did on owner operators versus um, yeah. company drivers was really uh, driven by AB5 in California and other states. I mean, they're not the only state that is attempting to reclassify how owner operators and independent contractors are, are dealt with. And so our research advisory committee said, we need a study to understand why people choose either path and sort of what are their levels of satisfaction? You know, are they being met? And so that's why we went out with that survey. We also ask in that survey, how are you paid? What is your compensation model? What is your income? Are you satisfied with your compensation and your um, income? And as w- it's not surprising, um, the people who are owner operators, independent contractors, their top three priorities were independence and flexibility, choosing their own schedule and routing, and um, yeah, income. So, you know, those are their three drivers. On the company driver side, it's job security and stability. And now I don't remember the second one. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> and income. But but they were things that clearly, you know, you have the ability to meet those at, at oh, it was, I know, on company drivers. Um, job security and stability, income, and health care and retirement savings uh, was the other one. And so, you know, these are things that company drivers experience. This is why they choose to be a company driver. And then we measured their level of satisfaction with those. And owner operators are choosing basically to to be in charge of their own work environment. That's why they want that pathway. And they're happy with that. That's that's what they want. And so um, I think it was an important study for populating the conversation around what's happening in California and other states that are looking at uh, or attempting to reclassify how those individuals are treated. Well, yeah, it's almost a way for us to just talk about the differences between what certain people want out of their job. And maybe a 1099 or W-2 employee isn't necessarily the way that we do that. I'm not necessarily going to be solution oriented in this moment, but there are going to be different designations of what people want. And maybe we can offer those to them if everybody's even a W-2 employee, just to be able to give people the option to, you know, live their life and you have their work-life balance be and their control. Right. Right. Which I think that, you know, at, at, from an infrastructure level, and we don't have to get too deep into this. We have potentially, you know, failed a little bit in that uh, in some ways where we only offer two types of <laughs> work life balances for everybody and they just don't always work out. So making that a little more customizable for the worker, you know, and, and they've proven this in other countries can maximize productivity, you know, culture within a company, etc. So I mean, those are huge. Those are huge studies that you already have, like very identifiable markers to make an impact, and not only the trucking industry, but just employment in general. So that's huge. Well, and and I was uh, I was very involved in that particular study, and and was very pleased to get that one released um, because that is such a hot topic right now. I mean, that's that's what I really appreciate about our research advisory committee is again, twenty to thirty proposals, all very important studies. And, and their task is to figure out, because we have limited financial and staff resources at Atri, figure out what are the most important six to eight of those that we can undertake over the course of the next year. I love it. So great. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely amazing. Rebecca, uh, thank you so much. So just to recap how people can get a hold of you, follow you. I don't know if Atri is big on social, but go ahead and put wherever they can follow you. Um, let people know. How do we get a hold of you? 
Absolutely. So our website is truckingresearch.org. Um, we are on LinkedIn at, as American Transportation Research Institute. And then on Twitter, you can follow us at, at Truck Research. That was so simple. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so well, much. Well, I have to I have to tell a sad story about us though, actually. Let's do it. For Perfect. years, our website address was atri-online.org. And ah. so we did a, a satellite media tour, or I did a satellite media tour after our bottleneck release one year. And in the space of about four hours, I did 26 or 27 interviews with TV stations and radio stations. And after you've said atri-online.org <laughs> 26 or 27 times, I went back and I said, we got to find a new website address. And, and so truck, trucking research was available and we should have had it all along. <laughs> so, how, how lucky can you get by getting such a simple name that much later? <laughs> That's awesome. So Bottle, we couldn't get Bottle Acu. 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 Figured it somebody out. Us for that, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, well, yeah, we really, really, really enjoyed talking to you. You have obviously a lot of great information that we couldn't get from anybody else. So we we really appreciate obviously Atri's input into the industry and everything that you guys have done. And thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me on today, guys. All right, bottleneck Becky, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, everyone, that concludes another episode. You can uh, find us on Get a Load of This um, Trucking Podcast. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, as always. Uh, all the episodes are on Spotify, Apple, all the other platforms. And, yes, go check out truckingresearch.org. Pull the reports. It will help you. It will help you be a better business owner. It will help the industry um, an informed really anyone just educating themselves as a better human being. So do your research. All right. Thank you all.